Thank you for coming back. Um, I do think for all of you who have been here at least for four of these lectures, you know we're going to get the special crown when we see Jesus and so we can throw it at his feet. You all have an extra gem. So I am thankful for that. Start out, how are you doing? Start out with that question. How are you doing? Not only how are you doing at this moment, but in particular tonight, how is your soul? Screwtape reminds us that we are amphibians. We are half spirit and we are half animal. And tonight, you'll see them before me in my standing, the animal part is pretty well satisfied. We just had pizza, we just drank, we had some nice fellowship, and we're okay. But I'll go back to the other question, how about our soul? Is there a calmness in you tonight? Is there an assurance that all is well between you and the Lord? When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the old hymn, Nothing Between, My Lord and My Savior. Many of you, I see from your smiles, remember that hymn. Much hinges in our Christianity between our bodies and our souls and our rational thinking. And Screwtape and company don't want you to think about God Matter of fact, screw tapes wants you to believe that God is simply not relevant in your daily life. In most of your daily life, in the workplace, you depend, he wants you to believe, simply upon your, upon your intellect. He wants you to believe, oh, you have the right degrees. Oh, you have the personality to do that. Oh, you know numbers. He wants us to believe that we can do pretty much on our own. And guess what? I think he does a great job <laughs> of letting us believe that. To put it another way, are we daily waging on our bets that Jesus is who he says he is, or are we not? Is he really the king of the universe? Does he really care about us? And are we truly his sons and daughters? And if I were a betting man, everybody before me, including myself, have had those questions and struggle with them. We just pretend very often that we don't. Lewis would have us believe that Screwtape and his associates are active participants in our lives, as much as we do not want that to take place. There was a 17th century philosopher, mathematician, physicist, and theologian by the name of Pascal. And in his personal notes, published post posthumously, Pensees, or his thoughts, he lists five, four, excuse me, four arguments for the existence of God. The third argument has become the most popular, <clears throat> Pascal's wager, as we have known it. And Pascal argues that a rational person you and me, should live as though God actually exists and seek to believe in God. Because if God does not exist, then such a person will have only a finite loss. But if God does exist, then, then if God exists, we have everything in eternity to lose if we do not follow him. So we have to put, put it this way. God is or God is not, all right? Reason alone, argues Pascal and Lewis, 
cannot bring you to an understanding of Christ himself. It is not <coughs> sufficient. We just want it to be. Pascal says it's sort of a game. Sort of heads or tails. He said, and in this game of whether God exists or not, you don't have a choice. In this game, it's not optional. You have to make a position. Listen to Pascal's words. Let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. And if you choose to believe in God, Pascal says, you have everything to gain. But if God does not exist when you die, you have nothing to lose, is his argument. But if he does exist and you do not choose him, you have everything to lose, including your own soul. So Pascal says, wager. Wager without hesitation that God is who he says he is. And I love these words of Pascal. He says, an infinity of an infinitely happy life to gain against a finite number of chances of loss. I'll repeat that again. An infinity of an infinitely happy life to gain against a finite number of chances of loss. Our actions and our words are enormously consequential. What we do in our daily lives are enormously consequential. But you know what? Pascal argues and Lewis argues that our understanding of our own actions is flawed. We don't get ourselves totally outside of Christ. Why we can discern a, a great deal, says Pascal and Lewis, through reason and through logic, ultimately, he says, we are going to be forced to take sides. And C.S. Lewis definitely takes sides. He sides with the lordship of Jesus Christ. And if we do not choose Christ, and all of us, if we do choose Christ or not, all of us has, have pondered our earthly existence and that someday we will all die. May I repeat that? <laughs> someday we will all die. How it will end for each one of us in this room is a huge mystery. We do not know. Lewis ponders such eschatological thoughts in both the screw tape letters and in the seventh and last book of the Narnia series, The Last Battle. His concern toward the end of Screwtape and in all of The Last Battle is threefold. Death, yours and mine. Judgment, yours and mine. And your final destiny, yours and mine. And the final destiny of our souls. In the very last Screwtape letter, remember there are 31 of them, Lewis presents a fictional account of a, the patient, he, throughout the text he was called, or the Christian's death, and the patient's death into the afterlife. The patient, you will recall, has died in an explosion, okay? Let us hear Screwtape is talking to Wormwood, and Screwtape is not very happy. He's not very happy for many reasons. Screwtape is present among us. He's going to recite his letter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> 
You have let a soul slip through your fingers. The howl of sharpened famine from that loss re-echoes at this moment through all the levels of the kingdom of noise down to the very throne itself. It makes me mad to think of it. How well I know what happened at the instant when they snatched him from you. There was a sudden clearing of his eyes, was there not? As he saw you for the first time and recognized the part of you, the part you had had in him and knew that you had it no longer. Just think and let it be the beginning of your agony. What he felt at that moment, as if a scab had fallen off from an old sore, as if he were emerging from a hideous shell-like fetter, as if he shuffled off for good in all a defiled, wet, clinging garment. By hell, it is misery enough to see them in their mortal days taking off dirty and uncomfortable clothes and splashing hot water and giving little grunts of pleasure, stretching their eased limbs. What then of this final stripping, this complete cleansing? The more one thinks of it, the worse it becomes. He got through so easily. No gradual misgivings, no doctor's sentence, no nursing home, no operating theater, no false hopes of life, sheer instantaneous liberation. One moment it seemed to be all our world, the scream of bombs, the fall of houses, the stink and taste of high explosives on the lips and in the lungs, the feet burning with weariness, the cold heart with horrors, the brain reeling, the legs aching. Next moment, this was all gone. Gone like a bad dream, never again to be of any account. Defeated, outmaneuvered, fool. Did you mark how naturally, as if he'd been born for it, the earth-born vermin entered the new life? How all his doubts became in the twinkling of an eye? Ridiculous? I know what the creature was saying to itself. Yes, of course, it was always like this. All horrors have followed the same course, getting worse and worse and forcing you into a kind of bottleneck, till at the very moment when you thought you must be crushed, behold, you were out of the narrows and all was suddenly well. The extraction hurt more and more and then the tooth was out. The dream became a nightmare and then you woke. You die and die and then you are beyond death. How could I ever have doubted it? As he saw you, he also saw them. I know how it was. You reeled back dizzy and blinded, more hurt by them than he had ever been by bombs. The degradation of it, that this thing of earth and slime could stand upright and converse with spirits before whom you, a spirit, could only cower. Perhaps you had hoped that the awe and strangeness of it would dash his joy, but that is the cursed thing. The gods are strange to mortal eyes, and yet they are not strange. He had no faintest conception till that very hour of how they would look, and even doubted their existence. But when he saw them, he knew that he had always known them, and realized what part each of them had played at many an hour in his life, when he had supposed himself alone, so that now he could say to them one by one, not, who are you, but, so it was you all the time. All that they were and said at this meeting woke memories. The dim consciousness of friends about him which had haunted his solitudes from infancy was now at last explained. That central music in every pure experience which had always just evaded memory was now at last recovered. Recognition made him free of their company almost before the limbs of his corpse became quiet. Only you were left outside. He saw not only them, he saw him. This animal, this thing begotten in a bed could look on him. What is blinding, suffocating fire to you is now cool light to him. Is clarity itself, and where's the form of a man? You would like, if you could, to interpret the patient's prostration as in the presence, his self-abhorrence and utter knowledge of his sins. Yes, Wormwood, a clear knowledge even than yours. On the analogy of your own choking and paralyzing sensations when you encounter the deadly air that breathes from the heart of heaven. But it's all nonsense. Pains he may still have to encounter, but they embrace those pains. They would not bar to them for any earthly pleasure. 
All the delights of sense or heart or intellect with which you could once have tempted him, even the delights of virtue itself, now seem to him in comparison, but as the half-nauseous attractions of a rattled harlot would seem to a man who hears that his true beloved, whom he has loved all his life, and whom he is believed to be dead, is alive and even now at the door. He is caught up into the world where pain and pleasure take on transfinite values, and where all our arithmetic is dismayed. Once more, the inexplicable meets us. Next, the curse of, next to the curse of useless tempters like yourself, the greatest curse upon us is the failure of our intelligence department. If we could only find out what he's really up to. Alas, alas, that knowledge in itself so hateful and mawkish a thing should yet be necessary for power. Sometimes I am almost in despair. All that sustains me is the conviction that our realism, our rejection in the face of all temptations, of all silly nonsense and claptrap must win out in the end. Meanwhile, I have you to settle with. Most truly do I sign myself your increasingly and ravenously affectionate uncle, screw tape. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, that was not cast typing by any, <laughs> far from it, far from it. Um, Lewis warns us in The Great Divorce and in the preface to Screwtape that he has no special knowledge about the afterlife. He just says, let us imagine together. But there's so much truth that we can garner from what Screwtape said. At one point he said, all of the Christian's doubts in a twinkling of an eye became ridiculous. We have doubts. We have concerns. We have questions. Is Christ real? We've thought about that on days. Do we really need to commit all of these doubts? And we all have them. Lewis reminds us, in the twinkling of an eye, they will vanish. And then he saw his angels. And he didn't know how they would look, but he saw them. And then he started to have memories. All those troublesome times when he thought he was alone, he never was. When he thought he was in danger, he may not have been. And sometimes when he didn't think he was in danger, he was. And all these memories started to flood him about how friends came around him as God's ambassadors, you all, and how the spirits and the angels ministered and kept the enemy away, all right? And notice what Wormwood is doing and the other demons. Our patient is going up in the air, and these other demons, the demons are cowering. They don't, they can't say anything in the presence of the Christian who has now been transformed and who now is greater because he, he's now the son of the living God. They're cowering before us. The demons who tempted us all of our lives, he says. And he notice what the patient says to the angel. Not, who are you? But, so it was you all the time. You protected me. You were the one keeping me sane. You were the one that prevented X, Y, or Z. And he, he knew all those parts. Instantly, he knew all those parts his angels and God's angels had played in his life. And then the text says he saw him, his Savior and Lord. And Lewis writes, 
this animal, this thing begotten in a bed, could look on him and see Christ face to face. And in the twinkling of an eye, you may remember some of those words, the patient, this follower of Christ, Lewis writes this, is caught up into that world where pain and pleasure take on transfinite values and where all our arithmetic is dismayed. Logic doesn't have to be anymore. We are in God's presence. We are in the presence of the impossible, made possible because of Christ. No idea if this is true, but I'm inspired by it. Lewis said he had no claims that this is what happened. But similarly, when Lewis is writing The Last Battle, the seventh book in, in the Narnia, Lewis asks his reader a metaphysical question that John Donne, the great holy poet, writes in one of his sonnets. And here's the first line of the sonnet. What if this present were the world's last night? We don't have time to go over the whole sonnet. It would take about three hours to work our way through it because of the word choice. All right. But let me repeat the question. What if this present were the world's last night? What if this actually were the last night all of us had on planet Earth as we know it? And in the last battle, Lewis presents his own vision of the Narnian apocalypse and life and death. Now, the fantasy covers many generations in Narnia. Uh, It it explores the characters' attitudes, their motives for behavior, and their reactions when facing death and danger. The work is particularly apocalyptic. We read about 15 pages in, in the last days of Narnia. That's what we read. The motif runs through the whole novel and is spoken by Jewel the Unicorn. And he says, this is the end of all things. And he also says, all worlds draw to an end except Aslan's own country. And by the way, this is the only novel of the seven where Aslan never appears in Narnia. Oh, you see his paw, it gets wet. Remember, there's the open door, the old world, all the old worlds are being destroyed. Ashland's standing in the doorway, hitting his paws over it, and the text tells us his water got over his paw. He never enters into the old Narnia in this book. All right? Uh, The work is written from an eschatological perspective concerning four things. Four things. Death. And we're informed of the text, we're all going to die. That's not a surprise. Judgment, we will all face the living God. Hell, hell is a reality, says Lewis. Lewis particularly hated the idea of hell. He did not like it. He writes in the problem of pain these words. Some will not be redeemed There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of scriptures, and especially of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom, and it has the support 
of reason. So we'll be looking at hell. And the final theme is heaven. And Lewis is going to picture heaven. And thank God he does this. When I was a little kid, I don't know about you, it's like singing praise courses and God, all these songs forever and ever, and that's the picture I got of heaven as a little guy growing up. I often thought sitting in the seats, how boring. <laughs> Is that all heaven's going to be? Singing courses and throwing my crown at Jesus' feet? Well, why am I working for a crown anyway? Uh, and I thought all these things as a kid. Uh, but Lewis says, no, 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 no. We have it all wrong. It's an unending adventure. He says, it's a place of growth. It's a place of joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because we're in the presence of the living God, says Lewis. Anything is absolutely possible. We who are mere mortals, we who are presently tempted by screw tape and company, we who find it difficult a lot of times to remember we're God's sons and daughters, we who blow it frequently will stand, says Lewis, in God's presence. And you know what, says Lewis? We're going to feel that we truly belong and we're not frauds. Because Lewis often says, we think we're frauds. If we had honest moments with each other, I think all of us would say, no, I'm not really Gus. If you knew me, if you really knew me. And Lewis says, oh, but God really knows you. And he still says, Tim, you're my beloved. I know you jackasses things you've done. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've done all those things. It's my degrees. Yeah, she almost did that. But we're going to stand. We're going to really feel we belong. One of the characters in the final chapter says, this is the place where I truly belong. Wonderful. And then he pictures heaven as an onion. When I first read that a long time ago, an onion, should I start crying? Uh, you all, we've all, most of us, has anyone not peeled an onion? <laughs> Our theologian has no idea what I'm going to talk about now. Can you get my book back? Okay, onion, you start peeling the layers, and they stay manless. But with each layer, says Lewis, we're going around and around, and each layer seems endless, going round and round. Heaven's going to be a place. Imagine, imagine this guy, our thespian, who only, according to science, only uses, what, 10% of his brain, right? Imagine if he gets to heaven, I don't know what God's going to do, and he's going to allow him to use 100% of his brain? Wow. Jacob, our penis, wonderful penis. He only uses 8 to 10% of his, his, his skills. What will it be like when he... Can you, I can, I can, I have this great imagination, but I can picture God saying to Jacob, Jacob, you have a concert? You have about 100 years of practice, go ahead. I cannot wait to do it, brother. I mean, I cannot, I, whatever your talents are, God's going to go. And here's our John Stott. I haven't said this, this, this guy preaches like Stott. I want to hear it more and more. I mean, I could just hear, I don't know what he'll preach about in heaven since Christ will be there, but it will be fascinating. <laughs> But it's going to be fascinating as to what God's going to do because we're going to be in heaven. How am I doing for time? Smashing. All right. What I'd like to take you to do is through a summary of the text. 
for those of you who haven't read it, and then Lewis's sayings throughout the summary. So we get a gist of what he's telling us about hell, about heaven, about salvation, about God. In this last installment of the Narnia Tales, Lewis brings all of the characters who were in Narnia, all the previous six books, together. You're going to find them all in this book. And they're going to witness the end of the world. All right? Uh, the end of the world that they love. Pemacy kids love London. They love England. And so the story begins multiple generations after the rule of Aurelian, the son of Caspian. And Narnia has enjoyed many, many years of peace and prosperity. Tyrion is the present king of Narnia, and he rules with the help of his friend, a unicorn, Jewel. And if you read the book, you were, Jewel many times throughout the book keeps saying, you know, Aslan is not a tame lion, for he's not the slave of the stars, but their master. Mm -hmm. So over and over in the beginning, three quarters of the book are about the fight that takes place in Narnia. Only one quarter is about the transformation in, into heaven. All right? Now, Tyrion very quickly is warned by a character by the name of Ruinwit, who is a centaur who studies the stars, that evil is coming to Narnia. When pondering what is happening and about to happen to Narnia, Jewel repeats to King Tyrion that Aslan is not a tame lion. And Tyrion responds and says, and, um, and by the way, and Ruin says, there's going to be, we're going to, people are going to die, there's going to be battles, life is going to suck. <laughs> and then he says, but Aslan's not a tame lion. And here's what King Tyrion says to him. Well, we must go on and take the adventures that come to us. Sound like words we need to hear? I know some of your stories. I don't know all your stories. Many of you are going through a lot. We go through adventures we would not have chosen. So here's King Tyrion, and he says, we must go on and take the adventure that comes to us, not the one we think we deserved. Screwtape has a ball with us when, we, when the Lord takes us on adventures that we think we should not be on for whatever reason. Well, evil comes, strangely enough, in the form of an ape, an ape named Shift. And Shift the ape takes a lion skin, which they found floating in a river, and intimidates his sidekick, a very simple and somewhat loving donkey named Puzzle. Personally, I want a stuffed donkey named Puzzle. <laughs> All right? Puzzle. Is that, is that like, oh, Puzzle. Puzzle thinks he's stupid. You ever feel that way? Sure you have. Look around you. There are extremely bright people in this room. It's an easy place. St. Thomas is an easy place to feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of things. <laughs> uh, it, it really is. And Puzzle is like, well, he just, you know, and Shift keeps telling him, no, you, you put on the lion skin. All right? So, Here's what Shift said. He, he takes it, he cuts it into pieces, and he straps it all over the donkey. He puts pieces of lion fur on the legs, the arms, and of course, he looks ridiculous. All right? Puzzle looks absolutely ridiculous. And then Lewis writes this. No one had ever seen a real lion, or no one who had ever seen a real lion would have been taken in for the moment. 
But if someone who had never seen a lion looked at Puzzle in his loinskin, he just might mistake him for a lion if he didn't come too close and if the light was not too good. <laughs> Don't we do that with false gods? No matter what they are, says Lewis. With money, whatever it is that we like to worship, we do strange things. And they appear to be good and I am convinced the brighter the people, the more we don't analyze what we worship or what we love or what we necessarily place before, before Christ. Well, Schiff makes an agreement with the, with the uh, Kellermans. And by the way, there's a huge controversy how to pronounce that word. Okay? So if you pronounce it differently than I, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> um, he makes an agreement with the Kellermans to have the phony Aslan allow the Camerons to cut down the talking trees and to enslave all of Narnia. Well, the Narnians, believing puzzled to be the true Aslan, do what they are told, but in the process, they lose their love and their belief in the essential goodness of Aslan. Their leader tricks, tricks them. Be careful of leaders, is what Lewis is saying. Be careful of theologians. We all know, we all can tell some horror stories about an accuracy. Matter of fact, I want a preacher, and I think you do too, who spends more time on his or her knees than the rest of us together. I want a praying pastor. Lewis wanted a praying pastor. Well, the Narnians do what they're told, and they're told over and over and over in the text, and this is very important toward the end, that Aslan and the false god Tash are one. They are told that these gods are the same. And when this is told, King Tyrion hears this and he cries out, Ape, you lie damnably. You lie like a Calamon. You lie like an ape. But the Calamans then respond, Tash is only another name for Aslan. We Calamans use a different word, but we all mean the same thing. Tash and Aslan are only two different names for you know who. Sounding familiar in our world? All gods are equal? The road to, to, to eternity is, it just doesn't matter. There are many roads. You're, we're all going to find truth. Well, King Tyrion says, uh, 999. <laughs> By the time Aslan finds out what's really happening in Narnia, it's too late. He is soon captured by Shift and Calmarins. But interestingly, Tyrion and his captured companions notice on the hill there's this little stable. Looks like a barn. And they keep looking at that stable and they wonder what it's, all, what, what it's all about. King Tyrion is now tied up and he prays to Aslan. Here's what he prays. Aslan, 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 come and help us now. He screams the prayer. Can't do this, Aslan. I can't do it on my own. We're at the end of all things. And suddenly, King Tyrion has a vision. He has a dream, and in his dream, there's a room, and the room is filled with the seven friends of Narnia, and they're under meaning. You may remember Peter and Susan. Well, Susan wasn't there for reasons we'll discuss later, but Lucy was, and Eustace was, and Polly was, and Jill was, and the next thing he knows, 
Eustace Scrub and Jill Pohl, characters from the silver chair, are standing in front of them. Hmm, he goes. And, they, and King Tyrion says, well, seeing the dream of the seven and you appearing to me will, tells me that anything can happen now. Oh, that we would believe King Tyrion's words about God in our lives. Oh, that anything can happen now. We, I forget, you forget, we serve a God of impossibilities. He wants, he's seeking us to ask him. Ask him, says, help me. And what happens? Two kids come out of England. They have no idea how they got there. Uh, and as soon as this happens, he gets help. Eustace appears in front of him. Uh, and, and, and Jill Jill is just as surprised as everybody else. She's there, well, um, uh, I really don't know how to happen. I was on a train, and I was looking, and I was talking to Peter and Lucy and all the seven, and the next thing I knew, I was looking out a window, and I felt this terrible jerk, and then there was a noise, and the next thing, I'm standing before you. Well... They had all kind of plans because remember those of you who read the Narnia Chronicles, the rings they could use to get back and forth in Narnia, and Peter actually went back to London and dug up the rings and all this, and use the rings. So the, these two kids are standing there, and they're very puzzled as to how this has all happened. And after we see, oh, people have come to the rescue, Lewis writes these words, gloom and fear reigned over Narnia. Hmm. Well, King Tyrion, Eustace, and Jill, they go to Rescal Jewel, where, and they also find Puzzle, and uh, they free him from his forced phonyism being Aslan, <laughs> and he's very, very like, oh my goodness, I didn't mean to do that, and he apologizing all over the place. <laughs> then they gather a small band of Narnians, and they decide they have to fight, all right? King Tyrion's password that he uses throughout the fight are these words, the light is dawning, the lie is broken. The light is dawning, the lie is broken. Screw tape tells us lies. A.W. Tozer, some of you know who I'm talking about with A.W. Tozer, my Alliance friends, wrote the book, I Talk Back to the Devil. We need to talk back to screw tape, Lewis would say. Sometimes we need to look in the mirror and say, screw tape, you are a liar. When my life gets tough, I literally do this on occasion. When I feel all is lost, I open up the scriptures, I go to a mirror and look, and I, and I read, Oh, what great love the Father has lavished upon me that I should be called the children of God, and that is who I am. And I agree with Tozer, I will say out loud, Satan, you are a liar. Lewis would have us talk back to the enemy. He is a defeated enemy. We just don't feel it most of the time. And it's at this point, all right, the battle's not going well, and Jules says this, nothing remains for us seven but to go back to the stable hill, proclaim the truth, and take the adventure that Aslan sends us. So when the going gets rough for us, Lewis's recommendation, Proclaim the truth 
and take the adventure that God has for us. Lewis says in other places, gratitude should be the mark of the Christian. Gratitude for the past, gratitude for the present, and hope for the future. In that order. Gratitude for the past, gratitude for the present moment, and hope for the future. Well, as the Narnians the Narnian start falling back and they're losing the battle, they, they see the stable. And soldiers, they, they see soldiers being forced into the stable. And Tyrion says that Tash himself may, may be in the stable. And then, then at this moment, they're looking at the stable. They're about to lose the battle. Tyrion says, and he sees the stable, and here's what Tyrion, Tyrion says that Stash may be in there, but here's what he says. But courage, child. We are all between the paws of the true Aslan. That's where this quote comes from. That at the darkest moment in King Tyrion's life, he thinks he's going to die. He thinks he's going to be thrown into a stable where the god Tash is there who will probably kill him. He has no idea what's going to go on. He says, be courage, child. We're all between the paws of the true Aslan. I think those are words that I would think we need to say to each other especially when the going gets rough. And it does get rough. In the lonely hours. Uh, Charles speaking, not Lewis. We need to pray for the gift of encouragement. We need to ask for it. We need to be able to walk up to a person and be able to say God's words at God's moment without foreknowledge or even thinking about them because the Spirit is working in us. That's what Lewis is trying to tell us here. But courage, child. We're all between the paws of the true Aslan. Then, then thank you for bringing up my book. Then the character Emmeth appears. A Calamon warrior. And Emmeth is going to be a problem for Lewis for many years after. It may even be a problem for some of you tonight. Emmeth is a warrior. And he's looking at the leaders, and he says to them, Nay, thou hast said that Aslan and Tash are all one. And if that is the truth, then Tash himself is in yonder. And how then that sayest thou that I have nothing to do with him? For gladly would I die a thousand deaths if, if I might look once on the face of Tash. Here's a common soldier who wants to worship, wants to see face to face his God. Emmett's face he said this, Is it then not true that Tash and Aslan are one? As the ape lied to us, and the ape says, Of course they're all one. And then Emma says, I am utterly determined to go in. So I remember those words. We have this little Cameroonian uh, cameraman, who, warrior, who says, Tash is, is God, and I want to see him face to face. Okay. Tyrion, still standing there, watching what's going on, and says, Here I stand in Aslan's name to prove with my body that Tash is a foul fiend. So in response to that, King Tyrion says, Oh, no, no, no. Tash and Aslan are not one. Well, at that moment, several warriors are thrown in, and the Calmarines throw 11 dwarfs into the stable. All right? They, for various reasons. And then Lewis writes this at this moment. The last of the king of Narnia, 
the, the last battle of the last king of Narnia has begun. And then Lewis writes these words. It was hopeless. So here you have Tyrion, Rungwood, others who believe in Aslan. They're facing a battle and they have to look at each other and admit this is absolutely hopeless. It's a hopeless situation. Now, in the process of this, King Tyrion does manage to throw uh, a Cameron leader into the stable <laughs> to meet Tash. And he says, go meet your, go meet your god. <clears throat> well, when the soldier gets in there, Lewis says, he met his god. It was a vulture-like creature, larger than a man. The head of a vulture had four arms, had a beak, blazing eyes, and of course, Tash devours him. <laughs> That's your reward. King Tyrion's now pressed into the stable. And the others find a surprise. And there's quite surprise for the stable, we're told in the text, is larger on the inside than it is on the outside. Remind you of Harry Potter? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some of those things? Yeah. Where do you think they got this from? Plagiarized. <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> true. That's true. Well, Tyrion's now in the stable, and uh, Lewis writes this. The stable scene from within and the stable scene from without are two different places. And then Lucy says, in our world, too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. Repeat Lucy's, why don't you love Lucy? Again, I want a little figure of Lucy. Uh, <laughs> Lucy says, in our world too, a stable once had something assigned it that was bigger than our whole world. Tyrion turns around, he sees the seven. He sees Peter, the high king. He sees Lucy, he sees Edmund, he sees Eustace. They're all there and they're all dressed in regal robes. Hmm. And looking out the door, all of a sudden a door appears. That's just a door. There's no frame around it. It's just a door, you, you can recall. And he's looking out the door, and what Tyrion sees is the old world all being destroyed. It's all gone. It's all going away. And it's a process. It's all being destroyed. And after the door is closed, they go further and further into this new world, which is we're told in the text, just like this one, but a lot better. And they meet up with all the past heroes of Narnia from the previous six books, and they have a celebration. They're also be able to look at Carl Paravel. They're looking out the window, and when they see Carl Paravel, they see England in the distance. They like it. Aslan comes and says to them that their life in the Shadowlands is over. Um, and then you recall in the last chapter, characters go around saying, it's all Plato, it's all Plato. <laughs> that the spiritual is what is really real. Now, Lewis wasn't totally a Neoplatonist, okay? He was sort of in this text, but it was easy, it was a way out for him to finish the text, I'm convinced. <laughs> uh, and Lucy, and so remember, you have all these kings and queens of Narnia, all, they're all dressed in regal robes, you have these 11 little dwarfs stuck in the corner, all right? They didn't believe in Aslan. 
Well, Lucy, sweet little Lucy, goes up to Hassan and says, can't you do something about these, oh, these doors? They're so miserable. Aslan, can you please do something? And Aslan has to look at Lucy and say to her, let me tell you what I can do and what I can't do. He says, the dwarves will not let me help them. He says, they have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their minds, yet they are in that prison. And so afraid of being taken in, they cannot be taken out. So everybody else is feasting. They're picking the fruit. I love this. The book of Revelation comes alive. The characters are picking the fruit off the tree. Each one is picking the fruit that they want. And they taste it. They've never tasted fruit like this again. I'm convinced. Any chocolate lovers in here? <laughs> Amen, brothers and sisters. There's going to be a tree. We're going to hold a glass. We're going to put it under the leaves. And the best chocolate in the Pour in no calories. That's why we're wearing long robes. Preach it, brother. Aslan can't help the dwarves. He can only help those who ask him, like King Tyrion. He wants and needs to be, he will not override, says Lewis, our wills. You want it your way? Have it your way. See what happens. And then he tells them, this place is the place where great adventure awaits them. This is heaven. And where, when the characters pick the fruit off the tree, they say, here's the words, it can't be meant for me. Surely we're not allowed to pick it. And then they're told, everything is allowed. Don't you want to be in a place called heaven where everything is allowed and it's holy and it's good and it's just, and there's no more evil fighting against our spirits. I've often told my students that one of the reasons I want to go to heaven is because I know Charles. I'm an arrogant fill-in-the-blank. <laughs> and I love people, but Charles is always in the way of that love. And I want to go to heaven where Charles's love is gone for himself, and it's all about Jesus, and I can love you the way I, I know I can, but I can't because I'm here now. To me, that's heaven. And we'll be carrying around that stone with our new name. And I'm going to show you. He's, and I'm going to go, oh, look at this. And he's going to show me his stone. And we're going to have a hug fest. <laughs> well, all the characters start rushing. How many different times? Smashing? Oh, good. All the characters come rushing to Aslan. They, and they look him. All the characters in the universe now have to come before Aslan. All of them. <clears throat> they look him straight in the face, the text says, but the text also says they didn't have a choice. Every character in the universe comes before Aslan. They don't have a choice. They have to look him straight on. I get chills just saying that. They didn't have a choice. Some were sentenced to their own choosing. They decided to choose self. There are only two kinds of people in this world, says Lewis in The Great Divorce. Those to whom say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God has to say, have your way, thy will be done. Huh. Those who said, who, who wanted it their way, they went to Aslan's left. 
And the text says they disappeared into black shadow. The others, who at first came with terror on their faces, I really don't think when I see Jesus, I'm going to go, oh, my big brother, I'm probably going to drop on the ground. They were terrified at first, and then they saw Aslan, and he smiled. Then the all fear was gone, and they went to Aslan's right. And then Rongwit, the centaur, has this wonderful phrase, sentence that he says over and over that we all know, further in and higher up. It is an adventure. Heaven is an adventure, and we should be longing for it. Love this life. Love the people here, says Lewis. The, next to the Eucharist itself, the most holy thing, Lewis says, and you've heard me say this before, is the person standing in front of you. That's what Lewis says. Love, love, love. Further in, higher up. And everyone there witnessed the death of the old world with Aslan saying finally to Peter, shut the door. It's over. In chronological time, in our concept of time, someday time is going to be vanished. And Jesus is going to say, I've had enough. Blow the trumpets shut the door, come on home. And I hope we're all there. Everyone witnessed this. And then, 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 our character Emmeth comes up again. And Emmeth, you know, is this Camarillion who, who <coughs> loved Tash above all and wanted to see Tash in the stable. Okay, one of the most controversial passages in the entire Lewis canon I'm about to read, okay? But I'll defend Lewis shortly, okay? <laughs> Here he goes. This is Emmeth talking. So I went over much grass and many flowers and among all kinds of wholesome and delectable trees till lo, in the narrow place between two rocks there came to me a great lion. The speed of him was like the ostrich, and his size was an elephant's. His hair was like pure gold, and the brightness of his eyes like gold that is liquid in the furnace. Remember Revelation. He was more terrible than the flaming mountain logor, and in beauty he surpassed all that is in the world, even as the rose of beauty surpasses the dust of the desert. Watch what happens. Then I fell at his feet and thought, surely this is the hour of death, for the lion who is worthy of all honor, will know that I have served Tash all my days and not him. Nevertheless, it is better to see the lion and die than to be the Tarask of this world and live and not to have seen him. But the glorious one bent down his golden head and touched my forehead with his tongue and said, Son, thou art welcome. But I said, Alas, Lord, I'm no son of thine, but the son of Tash. He answered, Child, all the service thou hast done to Tass, I have counted as service done to me. Then by reason of my great desire for wisdom and understanding, I overcame my fear and questioned the glorious one and said, Lord, is it then true, as the ape said, that thou and Tash are one? The lion growled so much that the earth shook, but his wrath was not against me, and said, It is false. Not because he and I are one, because we are opposites. I take to me the services which thou hast done to him, 
For I and he are of such different kinds that no service which is vile can be done to me, and none which is not vile can be done to him. Therefore, if any man swear by Tashin, keep his oath for the oath's sake, it is by me that he has truly sworn, though he know it not, and it is I who reward him. If any man do a cruelty in my name, then though he says the name Aslan, it is Tash whom he serves, and by Tash his deed is accepted. Dost thou understand, child? I said, Lord, thou knowest how much I understand. But I said also, for the truth constrained me, yes, I have been seeking Tash all my days. Beloved, said the glorious one, unless thy desire had been for me, thou wouldst not have sought so long and so truly, for all find what they truly seek. This passage has been taken out of context many, many times in support that Lewis is a universalist. We have already said from uh, our, our first lessons together, mere Christianity, Lewis says, no, 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 Christ is who he says he is. So what do we do with this passage? Well, Lewis takes us to Romans 2, where we know about those who never heard the gospel. And... Missionary movements were started because of that, and that's all fine and good. But haven't you often wondered, and I have, if you never, ever, ever heard about Jesus, doesn't it seem a bit unfair that you'd go to hell? You never, you never had a chance to know Jesus. Here's Lewis's out. Here's what he says. He says, okay, you served Tash. You served him by a different name, all right? You are coming into my heaven through me. Lewis argues nobody is coming into heaven except through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he said, you thought you were serving somebody else, but all of your desires, you were serving me. And Lewis takes us to a realm that we don't have answers for. Those who never heard the gospel. I like what Lewis does. Lewis says... You know, your service to town, you call me a different name. It's not that you were worshiping God in this evil. You were really trying to be the, the person you, I wanted you to be, but you never had the opportunity. You know, I think God can figure that out, folks. I really think God can figure it out, who he lets into his heaven. But Lewis argues, if you come into heaven, you are coming through Christ. Notice, he comes, Emmeth comes through Christ. He doesn't come through Tash, and he has to denounce Tash himself. Well, it's about over. <laughs> and Aslan, finally, the, the kids, Susan, I mean, Lucy and Peter says, do we have to go? We have to leave heaven? And Aslan looks at them and says, they're all in their royal robes. He says, well, you know, there really was a railway accident. Your father and mother and all of you, as you used to call the Shadowlands, you all died. And here's, the word, here's what I like. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. We are about to start. And one last thing. I know I, my time is up. Here's what he writes. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one 
before. Don't you want to go to that heaven? That description of heaven? So when the Lord takes us from this body, the real chapters begin. One last thing before I depart from up here. I have copies of all of the major quotes that we said. I will place them at the, they're $5 each, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> they are free to take for amusing to pass out to sinners or, <laughs> or saints who you think everybody's. <laughs> Thank you very much for allowing me to do this. Much appreciated.